Welcome to the fourth instalment of our winter series and this is Learning to Love Winter. So if you've been following along, we've uh, focused on the winter blues so far, but we want to take that a step further now. We want to not talk about how we should cope with winter, but actually how we can learn to love it and thrive in the season of winter, just like Father Nature does. Is that fair to say? I think so, yeah. I'd like to get out as much as I can, well, in all the seasons, actually, but um, I've never seen winter as being a barrier to enjoying most of the things you you do year-round, actually. Mm. Now, there's getting out and then there's getting out, isn't there, Rob? Because none of us mind getting out at winter, but John took that to the kind of Bear Grylls extreme. (laughs) recently God, yeah i mean you and i were out on saturday night just in london going to a gig which was awesome we were taking a bit of our own advice and keeping our interaction up and trying to be as social as we can and pretending to enjoy some whiskey cocktails that were given to us <laughs> um but it was freezing wasn't it like we were wrapped mm. up it was windy it was wet but it was fine we had a great night obviously and um you now like looking back you don't even think of the weather but uh, yeah, was uh, pretty surprised to see that father was out camping that night. Uh, how did you survive the night, John? Presumably you did. But um, was it was it okay? Survived it in yeah, in some style, Rob. I'd say. I mean, we we chose the Saturday night as a camp. It was a sort of commemorative camp, and uh, it was of course the night of storm. Alwyn, I think it was called. So we have very high winds. Um, I've actually always been a fan of camping in the wind because I love listening to the wind. And of course, the thing about being outdoors is that you've got, you know, half a millimetre of spun nylon between you and the outside. There's no no real uh, sort of barrier to what you're hearing. So you can hear the clattering of the twigs and the leaves as the wind blows through it. And the actual wind itself makes a, a huge noise. Uh, so there, there was a, a few of us, you know, mad types. We were out having a camp. Um, it gets dark very early, so uh, we we pitched up, got everything sort of um, sort of pitched up, lit our fire, and uh, then we spent some time walking around the wood at uh, dusk, which was great. And then we came back and we just used the open fire to cook a nice warming curry. And, uh, you know, a little bit of vino to help the uh, conversation mm-hmm. and to keep the blood running nice and warm. You must have been uh, cold. And yeah, share with everyone well, how cold it was. Well, so somebody did Google it and it said it was uh, between minus two and minus three brackets <laughs> feels like minus seven. <laughs> and you see, there's not an awful lot exposed because, I mean, we're, we're dressed for it. Um, but your face does get a bit cold because you can't cover your face up because we're in intense conversation, talking absolute rubbish. 
Uh, and so, and of course, you know, you you start off a bit earlier because of the dark. So I must say by about half ten, when the, the cold, you're starting to feel it in your extremities a bit. We thought we'd call it a day. Um, so, yes, then back into uh, a double bagger means something else in camping terms. So I had uh, one sleeping bag inside another. Uh, so you long were in a tent and- then. I was thinking maybe <laughs> yeah. you'd be Bear grill styling sort of in the carcass of a roe deer or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I decided to file that one under future projects, Rob. <laughs> Uh, for now, I've, I've used the dear old tent just to cut out the wind chill. And, uh, yeah, t- two sleeping bags and line trousers and thermal stayed on, alpaca wool socks. Uh, the works. So a couple of T-shirts and um, a, uh, a, well, a, f- a good fleece and a hoodie, no less, because you keep your hat on and you put your hood over your hat as well. It'll help keep your ears warm. But And the one thing that did keep waking me up in the night, apart from the fact that I, I don't mind being woken up too much because I just listen to the owls and foxes and the, and the wind, etc. But it's the cold on my face. This is one thing I haven't conquered because I don't actually like sleeping with my head under the under the covers and uh so yeah it, I, in fairness it was a disjointed night's sleep um <laughs> but it was still great yeah. you know and you've proved your credentials for this podcast as well yes i've proved that you can love staying out in the middle of winter at night <laughs> yeah exactly uh now we very much appreciate all of the feedback that we've had for our 11 ways to beat the winter blues two-parter with our world-famous mnemonic. Rob, I believe, though, there was a slight bone of contention since these have been released for you to have dealt with. Yeah, I was very much told off when I returned to the office because if anyone, for those that did listen to the uh, previous episodes, for N within the mnemonic, (laughs) get my words out, um, was nutrition. And I referenced a seasonal food chart, which is now on our Instagram. But what I failed to do was to reference and credit my good friend Kieron from work, who actually sent it my way. So uh, I was reminded on that on entry into the office last week. So uh, <laughs> apologies that it's taken so long, Kieron, but uh, full credit to you and thanks for sharing. Like I say, that's now on our Instagram and uh, yeah, mm. is a useful reference for, for making sure that we're eating the right foods uh, at the right time. And you tried a seasonal dish as well. Yeah, so that's another story. So I was like, again, taking some of my own advice and thought, I'm going to make a soup. Uh, So I was looking in the November um, month of this food chart, picked out a butternut squash and, uh, yeah, carrots. And I was like, that sounds nice. I'll go and make a soup of those. Go down to the supermarket, pick all the ingredients up, come back home and to see, uh, to my horror, that the butternut squash had travelled from Greece. So oh. a lesson to everyone out there to check <laughs> the name on you and don't trust Kieron's dodgy seasonal food <laughs> <laughs> Right then, let's move on to our six reasons to love winter then. And we'll start with number one, always a good place to start, but a fairly simple one to kick us off. 
John, because this is all about that lovely winter air that you experienced on that camp. Indeed, yeah. That, uh, as simple as possible and not only do we all enjoy it, we have to enjoy it because otherwise we'd suffocate. The The air in winter has got a different quality. Uh, it's If it's very, very cold, you tend to get less water in it and so you get quite good views. Um, it's quite clear. But it's also got that sharpish feel to it. A, a good intake of breath with nice, sharp, frosty air is like second to none. It also, um, if you, uh, by contrast, get a very sort of like misty or sort of freezing mist day when it's very hazy, you get the very damp, cloying sort of air, which is also really interesting and tends to carry a scent much better. So that's that's possibly your good time for walking in the woods and such like. So, uh, but I, I think it's about recognition. I mean, it's one of those things that sort of the, the yogis will all tell you that sort of no exercise or movement is completely holistic without reference to your breathing. And, you know, we, we need to be aware of our breathing a lot more. And I just think when I step out first thing in the morning with the dog, it's literally the first thing I always do is sort of like check that air out. And uh, this time of year, it's just fabulous. I mean, it's we've still got the the sort of hangover from autumn. There's so many leaves down at the moment and you just get that lovely hue of leaves starting to break down. And uh, yeah, so that's one of my things it just sets me up right for the day Mm. yeah i was out i think it was after we recorded our second uh, 11 ways to beat the winter blues episode and just going out for a walk uh, or i must have been walking down the river or something and it hits you and it does you it does feel different but it is nice it's like uncomfortably nice until you get used to it and it does seem to have a certain freshness to it doesn't it rob it does. I mean, I even craved it like you. Uh, I did a, I think after work one day this week. But um, and I think everyone kind of recognises how nice it is, like to go on a walk on a clear, crisp day in this time of year, and you wrap up warm, and that's um, that's lovely. But I even craved it this week after work. So it was dark. I hadn't got out in the morning, and I hadn't got out on lunch. Um, and I just felt like I needed to get out, and I was like, and, it, and usually that. And well, in years gone by, uh, years years gone by, um, that hasn't appealed. But I just thought, no, I want to go and get get out, get some fresh air before I start like getting the dinner on and everything. And it was, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like wrapped up really warm, just a walk around the block. But um, yeah, no, it was lovely. Like it's, mm. um, yeah, I'm starting to introduce it at all kind of weathers really. Yeah, well, let's move on to our second point then. This touches less on us and more on the nature around us then john and it's the fact that winter is the season where it really has to show some resilience yeah i mean it's uh, as you know my my love is nature and uh and one thing that makes me respect nature more than anything else is its ability to cope with all that's thrown at it so you know you were feeling a bit sorry for old father nature out there in his tent all wrapped up in his thermals etc but what i'd like you to consider are things like let's say our two smallest birds the wren and the goldcrest so 
they're both they weigh around five grams which is about the weight of um a 20p piece they're tiny they've got their wee feathers um but you know in many respects and fashions they're they're like us they've got a little heart that drums away they've got lungs they've got a blood system livers kidneys you you name it they're they're basically sort of they've got to keep themselves warm they are able to go to some level of torpor uh during these cold nights what's torpor yeah what does that mean a torpor is where where you slow where your body system slows right down. So uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about uh, bats in a minute, but um, they are particularly able to do it. But essentially, rather than the heart beating away madly like it would do during the waking hours, it can slow down so that it's just enough to keep the uh, sort of body uh, the blood pumping around the body. And enough to maintain uh, the, the right sort of body temperature for whatever that creature is. Now, in the case of um, the wren and the goldcrest, what, what I also just think is fantastic is both those creatures are highly insectivorous. So they can't just take advantage of sort of like what you might call a static food source. They can't just plunder the peanuts in your garden or whatever you might put out they don't feed on a sort of an old carcass or something that's sedentary they are actively having to search out tiny insect eggs insects invertebrates things like that is that a real word by the way insectivorous yes insectivorous means they they feed just on insects Well, well, well. So um, they didn't think too so long about that. So that could be one, one of our they? other words, yeah. So we we <laughs> love these <laughs> these big words, don't we? But uh, so for me, that is resilience. You you just weigh five grams. You know, if if you lose half a gram either way, so if you're dead in the, in the natural world, and you've got to, they probably start to roost around about sort of you know five half past, and they'll. St- stay wherever they're roosting. And incidentally, wrens will often use uh, empty nest boxes at this time of year. And they'll sometimes go in quite big numbers, you know, they'll just to uh, maintain body heat. But of course, some some things, they, they get their uh, resilience more by actually shutting off from winter. We do have uh, three types of main species that do something called hibernation which is basically uh slow right down into a very deep sleep over the winter months and that's hedgehog dormouse and uh the the uh, bat species of which i think we have 18 there's also dozens of reptiles amphibians uh invertebrates insects that etc that will hibernate in various forms whether it's overwintering eggs uh, larvae or chrysalis or adult forms so just taking the obvious ones the hedgehog uh, because quite a few guys whether you're in uh, the city town or countryside they might come across hedgehogs which use the garden now if you do find a hedgehog this time of year it's quite important actually to go pick it up and uh, take it indoors and get in touch with your local wildlife hospital. 
if they haven't built up their reserves to go through a winter's hibernation by now, they probably won't, and then as such they'll starve. So if they do get handed into um, a, a wildlife hospital at this time of year, they tend to prevent them hibernating by feeding them and keeping them you know, up to temperature. Uh, Dormice we're not likely to see, they're fairly rare. And uh, but the the point I was going to say about the resilience is both the dormouse and the uh, hedgehog, they go into a very deep hibernation. And what that means is, if you find one that's in hibernation, and you picked it up and had a look at it, it just wouldn't come round. It takes a long time for them to suddenly become what you might call conscious. You know, to wake up. Bats, on the other hand, they. Uh, show they do a very shallow form of hibernation and they they will regulate their heartbeat from you know you know hundreds of beats per minute right down to a very very few just to cope with the the actual cold indeed uh believe it or not at about 10 to 7 this morning i had a pipstrel bat flying above me as i walked the dog but when I got back and looked at me little sort of thermometer thing, it was around about actually nine, ten degrees. So chilly. You must have felt uh, like you're in, on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, it's it's kind of it's a it's a double-edged sword. This whole thing because now beekeepers out there will all know if you have a warm winter, you have a real job to keep your bees alive because because it's warm. The bees keep trying to fly out and forage for nectar. And, of course, because of how winter is in this country, there's not enough uh, flowers with nectar to feed them. So every time, you know, you might have 20,000, 30,000 bee- bees in that colony that go flying, every time they come back, they've they've got a deficit of energy. And then suddenly those bees will the whole colony will starve all at the same time uh i've I've seen it once in uh one of my bee colonies it was it was really sad thing to watch because they they literally tumble out and they're dead and they 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 all snuff it all at the same time and uh so actually really cold crisp conditions can be better for our hibernating animals you know they they can show better resilience Right, our third point then is to do with the garden. And actually, Rob, why don't you kick us off on this one? Because since moving from London, am I right in thinking you've sort of had a winter garden, but not really? Because had you just moved in? So we moved in, yeah, November of last year. Um and we didn't do much to the garden at all, I have to say. Like, we just cleared it up. And what we wanted to do, really, was just to see what came through in spring. So we didn't really do any forward planning or anything like that. Uh, we wanted to see, have a first summer in the garden, see what came through, see what we liked, and just see what the conditions were so that we had a better idea of what we could do in following years. So, um, obviously, we've had that now. So this is the first winter we've had when, whereby we are kind of are planning for the for the year ahead um which is quite exciting so um i mean again going back to the to the mnemonic episodes um 
just this week I have gone out and got some bulbs um, to plant in the garden. So actually my my mum got them for me, but four different types of bulbs to plant. And so I've been out um, one morning actually this 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 week, which was nice. Mm. Um, what did you go for? So we had hyacinths, some iris, uh, some snowdrops and some daffodils. So I wanted to do a bit oh. of research as to which bulbs I could plant, which would help the pollinators. And I read that snowdrops and hyacinths are supposedly good for that, but hopefully all of them to some extent will, will be good for the pollinators. Cause obviously I've got the bee hotel that's, uh, there's plenty of room at the inn. So, um, <laughs> so hopefully you know, that helps next year. A but no, back to the uni days with uh, a garden full of daffodils. Then. <laughs> that's it. I'm just trying to recreate the uni days, man. A freezing house full of daffodils and dormice. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that's one of the big points we're talking about here. It's the whole planning forward aspect of the garden, isn't it, John? Well, yeah, I mean, and we did mention a while ago about sort of like our um, one of the feel-good factors is for wintertime, planning ahead and looking at your seed catalogues, deciding what you might want to grow, etc. One thing I'd say about the garden that I'm always aware of is uh, actually not tidying up too quickly. Uh, things like uh, any plants that you had over summer that have left seed heads, it's always worth leaving them around because you'll find things like uh, goldfinches, uh and you know possibly red pole and siskin if you're lucky uh they all come down and they they will keep um li- literally sort of using those seed heads as a source of food uh things like um if you've got sort of apple trees stuff like that you know if you've got a few windfalls leave them on the ground they'll be sort of eaten by the thrush family with with relish also starlings we've got um at the moment we've got a couple of jackdaws that are coming down to sort of just polish off the very last of the apples they're getting very sort of tame uh so um so don't don't sort of clean up too early and also don't clear up too much it's great to have piles of leaves around uh they're good for the invertebrates and anything that's good for invertebrates is good for things that feed on invertebrates. So you're, if you listen, you, you can hear. I love hearing the the thrushes and such like just scratching through the hedgerows. They're just turning over leaves, just looking for you know spiders and wood lice and things like that to eat. So uh, so that's good. The other thing I love doing in the garden this time of year is obviously preparing for the vegetable beds there's a few things that we've still got you know things like uh the cabbages and artichokes and leeks and some of the winter crops uh but otherwise um just preparing for next season the the lovely thing is if you you cut your hedges and you do a bit of digging everything stays as it is mm. so you you feel like the uh, that's great to get that job done you know and also of course it's fairly physical it's it's great to do that during the cold weather and uh you know even if you're just sweeping up leaves which one thing i just i try not to be negative but i do just abhor um petrol leaf blowers they drive me insane i just think burning fossil fuels to move this gorgeous source of fertilizer from one place to another is just madness if you've 
got a compost of any sort just you know load those autumn leaves into it mix it in with all your you know vegetable waste and that sort of thing and they'll rot down to give you the best you know even if you haven't got a compost you can actually stick a load of uh um leaves together and just sort of clamp it down and it'll turn into leaf mold perfectly good for you know improving your soil conditioner but just don't use a leaf blower and uh rob are you managing to keep your garden in fairly good nick then yeah i mean the biggest thing that we have to contend to is the silver birch at the end of the garden so um throughout autumn you know it was obviously dropping all of its leaves so i'd go out and clear the leaves you need a leaf blower mate oh yeah well it was very quick because i have a very efficient leaf (laughs) (laughs) which i I wake irene up when it's roaring away blowing all the leaves into her garden no i um but so i I would do that uh, and it would look spotless but then the next day obviously you know it's like it's a bit of a thankless task so um yeah I'm, I'm glad i don't have to go out there and do that every, every kind of weekend or so but um but i definitely want to keep getting out there and um you know just keeping my the time out there um that i do have have you had a look at your um silver birch rob to see what sort of already replacing the leaves that have dropped off so there are there are catkins on there what, what's their story no they're they're next year's catkins yeah. they're starting to form okay. yeah so that that's that's how things keep moving on you know we we think that sort of or some people think of winter as a dead time it's not it's just this slow build up mm. ready it is a resting time for a lot of things but it's a it's a slow build up to springtime mm. and rob how are you uh, getting on maintaining your grass mate well, yeah, I mean, now that obviously it's winter, that doesn't need quite as much attention. Um, just a yeah. quick hoover every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might need to explain that as for, for any guys who haven't listened since about podcast uh, two. <laughs> yeah, OK. Um, Rob's a fraud and he has artificial grass. That's it. Summed up. But, but he again, inherited it. Yeah, they don't it's inherited. It it's inherited. <laughs> yeah, but he won't be changing it. <laughs> right, reason number four then to love winter is that you get to experience dawn and dusk. Or, John, would you like to tell us a slightly more... Um, how do we describe it? A slightly more technical term... Maybe, yeah. I think it's a flashier term. It's a good one to drop into your your sort of uh, lunch or dinner time conversations. It's crepuscular. Yeah. Oh, and, um, I wasn't thinking about that. It's a great word. That's a new oh, one. Oh, what were you thinking of? I was thinking of civil twilight. Oh, civil twilight, what we mentioned the other day. Well, yes, uh, civil twilight, yes. Uh, this this is the, the, the time sort of either side of... Uh, sunrise and sunset where it is actually light or getting lighter or the light is fading as opposed to fully light or or fully dark not that it's ever dark but anyway that, mm. that's gone round in a convolution there i think that, civil twilight what? is your alter ego as well okay <laughs> just stage name. yeah well i don't mind yeah, that that's yeah, that, i'm happy <laughs> so crepuscular Crepuscular is Crepuscular. the 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 term that describes dawn and dusk, right? And they are both 
great times of the day. Uh, they are, I mean, basically this time of year is the easiest time of year to access them because it's uh, such what you might call civil times. Uh, nice. It, yeah, so, you know, just an ordinary walk with a dog in the morning and a quick walk after work and you will see the day break and the day's end and you, you will get dawn and dusk. And the, the wonderful things about those times is that sort of obviously uh, dawn is the time of what you might call slightly urgent activity for anything that's roosted overnight. We were, we were just thinking about our small uh, songbirds that have been roosting for, you know, 14, 15 hours, and they haven't eaten for all that time. They'll, if they'll be hungry. They might be sort of like slightly cold. They must get out and start feeding. Some birds are already starting to get a little bit sort of sniffy about territory establishment and such like. So there's there's work to do. Other birds are in small flocks and so they they need to literally keep up with the flock. So, you know, you've got things like uh, rooks and things like that at this time of year. They're, they're moving around in big flocks. They're about to start settling down. But they tend to leave... Uh, their roost areas on mass. I guess a great example of this that's easy to see would be the starling murmurations. So when it's roosting time, they come in literally as a flock. And uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we went down and filmed them down at uh, Brighton, coming into Brighton Pier. And we also went back out before dawn to watch them leave. And, you know, it's kind of blink and you miss it in the morning because they, they're they urgent to get back out to their feeding sites. So, um, so and then we get to uh, uh, the evening time, which is obviously dusk, and we, we get the opposite happen. We get uh, the, the, the daytime things are tucking themselves up for bed for the night and then we've got our various nocturnal creatures which are starting their forage and uh some of them uh which we'll come on to a little bit later are they're most active in the winter time so uh so that's why i love our crepuscular timings i've got a point to add to the civil twilight because i was looking into it and I so I'll see your civil twilight, and I will raise you a nautical twilight. Oh, nice! And upon that, an astronomical twilight. No, yeah, no way. Do you so, know what they are? I do. So apparently, civil twilight is where uh, the sun is six degrees below the horizon. Mm. Nautical twilight is where the sun's twelve degrees below. And then astronomical is 18 degrees below. Wow. So well, there you, there you go. Wow, that's amazing. Fat. I never knew that. You learn so much on this podcast, don't you, John? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to keep it simple, mate. <laughs> Hi, guys. Just a quick message to say, if you are planning on enjoying the crepuscular, civil twilight, dawn and dusk, whatever you want to call it, to do so in a safe way and preferably with a friend. Okay, back to the show. All right then, uh, Rob, well, you might as well kick us off with our next point then, seeing as you're the new expert, and you can talk about <laughs> the migrants and the mating mammals. 
John, over to you. (laughs) (laughs) Coward. (laughs) So I think we mentioned some of our migrants when we're doing Ode to Autumn and we're looking forward to welcoming uh, various members of the Thrush family, uh, particularly the Red Wings and the Field Fairs, which are types of thrush. Uh, But we also get a continental influx of uh, blackbirds and we get more uh, robins coming in and we get things like jays coming in and uh, of course we get wildfowl coming in things like the various uh, waders and various ducks and geese and uh, also we get some some things coming in now which like egrets and such like which are, have, are becoming much more popular in this country so if you get chance to go to a wetland uh and i know there's places like barns which are in london but there's lots of large lakes around the place and also there's obviously britain's got a fantastic coast if you can manage to get out to a wetland especially if you're going to a tidal area when the tide's just going out that's your best opportunity to see uh various things that we might not see uh by by the time sort of springtime comes round because they tend to disappear back up north to breed so we get lovely flocks of mixed waders you can get uh things like um dunlin and various plovers and uh red shank green shank you you will sometimes find that when things freeze around lakes and such like those waders and wildfowl they'll disappear down to the coast and the coast is particularly good because it very rarely freezes so you know especially well the 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 sands never really freeze so uh when the as soon as the tide goes out you've got this uh wonderful muddy sort of stretch that will be accessible uh, right through the winter without too much of a problem so yeah go check your oyster catchers out um they're fantastic so why why are mating mammals a reason to love winter then unless you're one of the mammals that you're going to talk about <laughs> well if you think about the fact that if i said to you name me half a dozen uh british mammals that you love to see in the countryside uh amongst them will be probably foxes and badgers as along with things like you know deer and squirrel and moles and such like so foxes and badgers they are actively territorial now and they will be making different noises to what they make for the rest of the year and if you do get out into nature you have very good chance of seeing them because they are patrolling all over the place. They're established. When a creature needs to establish a territory, it will move potentially further and uh, a wider space than it does once it's got its territory. Once it's got its territory, especially if it's uh, in a in a breeding situation, it doesn't need to go out of that territory. It just needs to defend it. So it will stay put. If, for example, it might be an unmated vixen, she will go as far as she needs to go in order to find a male. And uh, and I'd, I was actually going to uh, play you what that sounds like because I suspect a lot of people have actually heard this 
and thought, oh, my God, what is going on outside? Because this very much is a, a thing that we get town, city or countryside. So I'll just uh, play this and see what you think. See if you recognise this. Have you heard that before? No, oh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's awful, isn't it? It is, and it's one of the reasons I love winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard that often. Yeah, you like to have a, your window open. You, you know, when when you lived at home, so to speak, you would hear that from your bedroom window quite often. Yeah, correct. And I think another time you heard. A, a real squabble going on because the, the dog fox does make a slightly different noise. It makes more of a bark. And when they get together, they they make one unholy din. <laughs> and, uh, so, <laughs> and so that that's enough not only to wake you up, but to, to put the fear of God in you. I just couldn't believe that there was a vixen and a dog fox in your bedroom as well. It was shocking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we like to bring wildlife close. Uh Bring the outdoors in. <laughs> yeah, too right. Right. The other thing is badgers. They are they, when they. It's not just a question of getting territorial, as in uh, marking out their sort of territory and trying to find mates. One of the things that causes a, a, a great deal of sort of um, harassment, if you like, is the fact that your alpha male will want to be evicting other males from, in this case, the set, if it's badgers. Now, when uh, a male is uh, is subordinate and doesn't sort of fight back, they can live peaceably together. So in a set of badgers, you might have up to 20 or 30 individuals of both sexes, and it can be fairly calm because the offspring... You know, the young lads are no threat to the alpha male. But as soon as they start getting a bit, you know, ripe with testosterone and a bit sort of like feisty, then they do get to start fighting a lot. Generally, the younger badgers won't be tough enough to evict their sort of dads, uncles, whatever it might be from the set. So they're the ones that get driven out. And unfortunately, you might have seen in the last sort of, I don't know, three weeks or so, there's quite a few badgers dead keep on the road light, at the John, minute. Keep it light, John, keep it light. Yeah, I know we don't want to go down the bed, dead badger line, but you might think, why is there so many on the roads? It's because they're being driven away. They're, be they're being driven away to find new territories, to check out new sets, to find new uh, new, new sows, as, as the females are called. So, okay, let's keep it light. Let's move on to owls. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so nice. owls, that's it. You will hear owls this time of year. Uh, I My little Instagram update uh, was half past five, sitting under a tree, listening to a tawny owl. Uh, just so you know what a tawny owl sounds like, we'll give you a quick one of these. Mm. Nice. Have you heard that? Yeah. Okay. Now this is the um, the female of the species, the tawny owl. Mm. 
she sounds like a pain. <laughs> a pain? <laughs> She's lovely. Now, I've got a bit of a controversial thing to throw in here, which mm. other, if hopefully some wizened birders listening to this might, might want to comment on. Twice now, I've had... Uh, what I thought of, I've been listening to a male literally underneath the tree because they're quite obliging. If you do hear one, just wander over to where it's at, sit under that tree in your crepuscular state, and just sit and listen. And they're quite obliging. They'll carry on calling. And a couple of times now, I've been listening to males. They do the traditionally the hoo hoo hoo. And they started doing a two wit to it which is the female call mm. now it could be that on both occasions we had both sexes sitting in those trees but one of them i was very very close to the male it was on a night walk that i did um a couple of years ago uh up near leatherhead actually and there were three of us just sat under this oak tree and we were very close we could hear this owl breathing virtually and I swear that it made the call of both the male and the female. Did it do the petrifying thing where it, like the owl turned its head like 180 <laughs> degrees as you were approaching it? <laughs> it would have done, but unfortunately, quite difficult to see. And I, I often do have a high-powered lamp with me, especially for watching foxes and badgers and deer and such like. But... The owls don't like it at all. They've got such extraordinary eyesight that you can imagine, you know, blowing them out with a, a massive torch is not appreciated. <laughs> so uh, they will they will literally... And, and the other thing with owls is you will not hear them fly. And most birds, you know, you can hear them fly past or fly over, but owls you won't hear. They're, they're absolutely silent in flight. Yeah, due to their, the way their feathers are constructed. Mm, interesting. Are they all mating noises, those? or they're, They are mating and territory, essentially, yeah. So they probably won't be mating yet, but they certainly will be getting um, hormonal and they will certainly be trying to pair up. Uh, they will start... Uh, they, they will almost definitely have their... Um, territories established by january i.e the males will be keeping other males out and uh they'll almost definitely have eggs by february so they're one of our earliest breeders and they do something if we want to throw another reasonably uh sort of nice word in asynchronous hatching of eggs so just very quickly because i know we're running out of time a little bit but most most of our birds, they lay a clutch of eggs. It might be sort of anywhere between three and, you know, a dozen. Some of the blue tits lay a dozen eggs. And they will lay one after the other, and then they will start to incubate them. And that means that when, the, uh, when they start to hatch, they all hatch together. Now, owls and a lot of birds of prey, they do asynchronous hatching which means that as soon as they lay the first egg they start to incubate then they'll lay one a couple of days later and that will join the throw and then sometimes a third and sometimes even a fourth that can mean 
that you can have several days difference between the firstborn and the lastborn. And essentially that is actually a survival trick of theirs, another resilience to, na- to nature, if you if you like. This time of year can be tough, you know, well, by, by February, there'll be uh, end of February, there might be feeding young. If you've got a lot of snow around or it's particularly uh, difficult hunting, there won't be enough food to go round. But if you've got one or two chicks that are much stronger than the others, you save, sounds heartless, but you save the the burden of feeding the weaker ones because they just won't get the food. And uh, so you end up with two strong fledglings rather than four weak. I'm going to put you well and truly on the spot here because what I'm going to ask you is tricky. But we heard the tawny owl. Yep. Well, having grown up with you, I am aware that you can do a tawny owl impression. <laughs> oh, my God. You're going to give it a go? You have to give warm your hands up. Okay. <laughs> Any good? <laughs> Are there loads of female tawny owls at your windowsill now? <laughs> Scratch the male. The female's generally... Oh, very impressive wow yeah really good well done john well, it's okay funny, actually it can help bring them in so oh, I don't, um, yeah i'm sure it can i definitely won't do my fox call because no please don't <laughs> but if you if you sit quietly and you do see a fox in the open at dawn or dusk you can call it towards you just to get a better view um yeah but maybe I'll I'll do a bit of practice and we'll try that another time. Okay, look forward <laughs> to that. Um, number six then, and we're just going to very briefly mention this because we're going to make it an episode of its own, and that is the winter celebrations. Yeah, so we we said right along reasons to love winter is there's there's plenty to celebrate, there's plenty to be social about. It would have you know historically people were crammed up together a lot through winter because we we are basically built to be you know diurnal creatures we we live by day um as human beings and so you know it it's a good time to sort of keep those traditions alive i think that the the normal ones apply we've got sort of uh yule or christmas time as it's sort of become known to many and we've got the well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by, by most I say yeah, yeah. okay fair enough Merry the winter solstice. Um, and there's of course uh, New Year's uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day <laughs> it's and, Yule uh, Hog- <laughs> Hogmanay if you're up north and uh, and of course wassailing which is a, a, a celebration a little further into january but one we'll definitely cover yeah okay intrigued then you have to listen to the next episode when we discuss all of those celebrations in depth and give you some ways to uh, have a bit more of a natural connection to them as well so look forward to that that'll be out before christmas of course but gents for now Mm -hmm. we have sufficiently loved winter I think. Absolutely. And, uh, so thank you very much for your company. 
And as ever, please get in touch with us on the Instagram account at Father Nature HQ. And we haven't had we haven't had a review for a while, actually, chaps, for a couple of months. Ooh. So we're going to put out a, a mm. slight appeal to to get some reviews if you're enjoying it. Um, yeah, give us feedback. We'd love it. Yeah, if you're not, then please don't. Um, <laughs> uh, so yes, please uh, give us a review if you can. But mainly, thank you for listening and enjoy the winter weeks ahead. And we will speak to you very soon. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thank you. Bye.